the church of Jesus, those who call themselves followers of Christ, his disciples, have has always lived, existed in the midst of culture. We are not outside of culture, we are part of culture. It's where we live, it's where we exist, it's where we work as followers of Jesus. Um, Jesus said in his prayer uh, in John 17, he said, um, Father, um, my followers are not of this world, even like I am not of this world. And a little later on in the prayer, he says, um, Father, I ask that you do not take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Watch over them. And Jesus was, came to this world because he felt that this world and its people were important. And this world would be in a sad place if uh, the church were not here today. There would be no message of hope, no example of living in Christ. So here we are in the midst of our world and what the question is for us, how much do we allow the world to affect us? And what kind of effect will it have upon us? We are here. We are not to be uh, part of the world's systems, and yet we live under them. First and foremost, as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples, we are part of God's kingdom. We are truly not citizens of this world. We are not ultimately citizens of this country. We are citizens of God's kingdom. Now, most of you know this to be true, but I think it bears repeating because our culture affects us so much. The place that we live uh, affects us so much. In that when God's kingdom is fully established on earth, when all things are made new, it will not be a democracy. You understand that. It is going to, it's not going to look like America at all. It's going to be different. In fact, we believe that it's not a democracy, but a, a theocracy. It's where God is in control, where God rules, where God is sovereign, where God's word is preeminent. The amazing thing for us as followers of Jesus is this, is that the kingdom is not just a future thing. The kingdom, Jesus said, is here and now. It is in our, we live in the midst of it. So God himself needs to be, um, well, he needs to be God. We need to allow him into our lives and to do the things that uh, he desires. We, we pray that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples um, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
on earth here now as it is in heaven here and now. So over the next um, few weeks, we are going to talk about what it means to be part of God's kingdom, what it means to be followers, disciples of Jesus. We're going to talk about a kingdom that in reality is upside down from the world's, or maybe I should say right side up. It doesn't look like the world that we're in. It doesn't even look like um, the religions that we adhere to. We're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, which is the marching orders, which is the character traits, which marks the followers, the disciples of Jesus. If you want to know what it is to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to know what it is to be a disciple of Jesus, then there is no better place than to start in Matthew 5 through 7 where Jesus calls his disciples to himself, and he teaches them. But before you turn to Matthew chapter 5, those of you who are doing that, I want you to turn to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. It's where we need to start and to what we need to be reminded of as we look into... Uh, this portion of Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. And when he finished these sayings, this is at the end of the sermon, Matthew gives this editorial comment. He says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, these teachings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. It would be like someone saying, I have heard the words of Jesus, and it doesn't sound anything like the preachers that I've known. His words were powerful, were uh, Life-changing. It says here the crowds were astonished. I think a better word there is they were overwhelmed. In fact, the Greek kind of gives us the idea that they were, it was smacked out of them. They were brought awake. They said, we have listened to Jesus' teaching, and we've never heard anything like it. We don't even know where to place it. We have no cubbyhole to stick it in. It is so radical. The kingdom that Jesus is talking about is found nowhere in all the earth. So when we look at Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 7, I want us to remember that this is God's word. Uh, as followers of Jesus, as those who have specifically been in the church for a long time, there is a tendency to say, this book, this Bible, is God's word. Most of us believe that, and that is a good thing. But somehow that truth gets softened as we walk with Jesus over the years. 
we fail to remember that this is God's word. God's word. It is his word to you. It's not something just to be read quickly and then set aside. But it was like if God showed up, if Jesus showed up face to face with you and spoke to you, it is the very word of God that speaks. Now, we believe that the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is the inspired word of God written by men who were moved by the Spirit. We believe that, but then we come to certain sections where Jesus speaks or where God the Father speaks. And I think it's important for us to take special note that here we have the one that John says is the Word of God that has dwelt from the beginning who is the word of God, who speaks God's actual word to us. What would it have been like to be one of those 12? They didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand that Jesus was God. But can you imagine if they did? Sitting knee to knee, face to face with Jesus and him speaking words to you. It should uh, grab our attention, shake our soul. So let's look at the Sermon on the Mount, reminding ourselves over and over again that this is God's word. And seeing the crowds, verse 5, I mean, excuse me, chapter 5 of Matthew and seeing the crowds, Jesus went up to on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, there are questions among biblical scholars whether who was actually with Jesus. Was he with the crowd? In fact, in the end of chapter 4, we see that he is ministering to the crowds, and some say that possibly Jesus moved away from the crowds and went up on a mountain away from the crowds and called his disciples, his closest followers, the 12, to him. Some say, no, the whole crowd was there, and Jesus taught all of them. But it makes, whether the whole crowd was there or not, it seems to me that verse 1 tells us that the disciples came close to him. They were going to listen to him. And I want to encourage us that today and in the weeks to come, and even in your own personal Bible study, Bible time with Jesus, that you draw close to him, that you listen to him. For he speaks God's word, his word. We come to most of our Bibles, and they, this next section is recorded as the Beatitudes. The Beatitude means blessing. Of course, we, that title is not in the original scriptures. It's just a, some editor wanted us to know that we were coming to a special part. So let's read these blessings. 
verse 2 of chapter 5, and Jesus opened his mouth and he taught them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for those is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and mutter all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Can you picture the scene? The disciples gathered around him. Maybe Jesus sitting on one of those rock outcroppings that are throughout the hills of, of Israel. Disciples sitting at his feet or maybe standing, maybe even lying down on the grass. And Jesus looks at his disciples, those men who have left everything. They've left their jobs. They've left their families. They left their livelihood, and they are following this rabbi, Jesus. And he looks at them in the eye as his followers, and he says, blessed. Now, it may seem obvious, but... Maybe it bears repeating a little bit that this blessed is something that is already true. Jesus is not saying you will be blessed. He is saying you are blessed. As my followers, you are blessed. And here are the character traits of a blessed one, of a follower of Jesus. In fact, as we look at it, we can say, as we read through this, these are the very character traits of Jesus himself. Jesus tells his disciples, be like me. Here are the things that are true about me, and you are blessed as you mold your character like mine. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, it's interesting to note that he's not talking about the poor who have no money, though the disciples had no money. He's not talking about the poor who have no house because the disciples had no house. He says, you are poor in spirit. Those of you who are spiritually deficit, Ever felt like that? Ever feel like you're just, when it comes to spiritual things, you are just empty? You have nothing to offer. You don't feel very spiritual. 
It's not that you're out sinning or doing something contrary to what God wants you to do. It's just that you don't feel very spiritual. I think we've all been there, if we're honest. We've all been there. But Jesus says an amazing thing. He says, those of you who see yourself as spiritually empty, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Strike you is kind of odd. You would think he would say, those of you who are spiritually strong, yours is the kingdom of heaven. No, he's saying, you don't have to have it all together to have the kingdom. God is not necessarily looking for the strong. He welcomes the weak. He's not looking for the person who has it all together, but those people who are seeking God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You don't have to have it all together. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourning is a given for us in this world. Yes, we mourn when we lose a loved one. But we also mourn when we reach retirement. That's not good news for a lot of people who are waiting for retirement, but there is a sense that all of a sudden that which marked your life no longer marks your life. And you could very easily sit in your easy chair, plop on your couch, not even get out of bed and say, I really have nothing to live for. I'm mourning the old life. And some of us, some of us should be mourning the situations of our world whether you are leaning toward the Israeli side of the conflict going on there, or you're trying to understand the Palestinian side and these bombings hitting both and people getting killed on both sides, women and children, men, old and young. My spirit mourns. I don't have an answer to it apart from we need Jesus. But my spirit mourns. I am saddened. I am troubled. I am in mourning. I look at the things that are happening on our southern borders and whether you think we should let people in or keep people out, my heart mourns. For children separated from their parents, for people who traveled thousands of miles to find maybe a safe place. I did the numbers once. If you were in Honduras and you were going to walk to the United States, you probably could do, um, well, if you were healthy, maybe you'd walk 30 miles a day. And that would be three miles an hour for 10 hours. Can you imagine if you have a two-year-old? You ever walk with a two-year-old? Remember those days when you're trying to just get through Walmart with a two-year-old and you're looking for them and they're toddling behind 
where you're carrying them. These people have put through lots of pain, lots of suffering, and my heart mourns for them. I cannot imagine as a parent feeling I need to, I'm in such danger or in such poverty that I'm willing to travel thousands of miles for days on end, dragging my family and none of the belongings. And I'm not here to be political today. I'm just saying my heart mourns for people. But Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning would be overwhelming for us if there were not hope. And the follower of Jesus, his disciple, has hope. Therefore, we will be comforted. Mourning is part of life. Blessed are the meek. Someone once told me that meekness is not weakness. Jesus was meek, but he definitely wasn't weak. I mean, Jesus spoke to uh, demon-possessed people, a man with multiple demons, and he just spoke the word, and the demons laughed. He spoke the word, and the dead rose to life. He was not weak, but he was still meek. He was gentle. This word meek um, in the Greek uses is what they use of a horse that's tame. I don't know much about horses, but I do have ridden a couple of them. In Southern California one day, I went riding with my youth pastor and a friend of his. And they looked at me and they said, you get that horse. And this horse was wider than it was long, I think. All I remember is my legs sticking straight out like this. And I, he's, I, he said, to, to move the horse, you rattle those reins and you pull to one side or the other. Well, my horse had not read that anywhere. No uh, instruction manual for this horse. And he kind of went where he wanted to go. One time he went down the side of a hill. He was strong. There was nothing I could do to hold that horse back. And I re remember my youth pastor saying, it's time for us to head back. And I turned that was able to turn that horse around. And um, what do they do? Do they, they get the smell of the barn or something? And they just take off. And I did everything in my power to hold on to that horse. He knew exactly where he was going. And there's no amount of pulling on the reins that was going to stop him. I was not strong enough. He was strong. I don't know if he was tame. But this word here means a horse that is tame. Jesus goes on and says that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's ideal for righteousness. For they shall be, the word here is satisfied, it means fulfilled. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you will be fulfilled. Be merciful, be pure in heart. I love verse 9. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And I know some people would like to translate that children of God, but it does say sons of God. And the reason being is that sons have a special place in the family. Jesus was raising everybody up. He was raising them to himself, who is the son of God. And Jesus came for one of the main reasons was to bring peace, to bring peace with God through his sacrifice on the cross, to bring peace within ourselves by the giving of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we are called to be peacemakers, not warmongers, but peacemakers. Our responsibility is to make peace when there's strife between neighbors, when there's strife between brothers and sisters in the church. We are called to be peacemakers. And as we seek to bring reconciliation between people, as we seek to bring people to the reconciliation, Reconciliation between God, we are called the sons of God, the children of God. And then Jesus wraps it up and says to his disciples, looking in their eyes, I, I picture, hey guys, persecution is coming. You will be persecuted. They persecuted the prophets. They will persecute me, and they will persecute you. Just make one thing sure, that you're persecuted for my sake, for righteousness' sake, not because you're an idiot. A lot of us get persecuted because we do dumb things, say wrong things. Jesus says, if you're going to be persecuted, be persecuted for my sake, and the kingdom of heaven is yours. Persecution is part of following Jesus. So there we have it. We, we have Jesus beginning his teachings about what it is to be part of God's kingdom by giving these character traits. And here's my... Um, my challenge to us this week to spend time quietly in these first 12 verses. Read them every day. Put them to memory. Meditate upon what it means to be poor in spirit and mourning and meek pure in heart and be a peacemaker and ask the Holy Spirit as you read them to begin to continue to do that character development in our lives so that we would be the disciples of Jesus, his followers, looking like him. That's your homework for the week. Not hard, not difficult, but homework nonetheless. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.